So you're going to edit this backwards, right, Trent? <laughs> yes, yeah. actually, that's not that's a really good idea, backwards. Dave. I might. I couldn't think how do you even do that? Uh, how would you find it? out? Because I have to do a lot we're of find out because I got to uh, find some way to pre to present this um, and that, that might be it. I don't know. Well, welcome to the episode, I guess. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is the happy part. Ben, first of all, I'm super impressed. Uh, well done. I don't know if I should be kind of fucking oh, scared you. of you now, um, <laughs> but I'm also amazingly impressed that we just went for an hour and seven minutes because I was like, I wonder if this is going to be one of the shortest episodes ever because we're all going to be like, I don't want to talk about If you like or dislike Gaspar Noe's work, uh, he's definitely a conversation starter. Yeah. And ben, I wasn't convinced you were going to be here, so I credit you uh, and thank you for well, joining Well, thank us. you. Thank you guys for having me on here. I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Good. Almost like okay. you were Gaspar No at a club in the basement. Uh, <laughs> More like Gaspar okay. Yes. Yeah, all right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Earbuds, earbuds dying. <laughs> all right, guys. <laughs> See ya. All right, later. Of course, the film is very violent uh, still today, but uh, we talk about love and about uh, uh, relationships and birth and intimacy, friendships. So there are all those elements that we feel those elements much more. Mm -hmm. And um, and also the difference is that when I did uh, the film 17 years ago, I didn't have children. And I, today I have children. So the film is very polemic, but at the same time, in the good way, because it opens uh, the discussion about so many incredible subjects that we have to talk about, because um, today uh, society's rules are changing and uh, women are more ready and more open to speaking out. And, uh, and I think that this film becomes very important because um, I see even my daughters and their generation much more aware about these sensitive topics. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have to find a common ground of communication, uh, you know, about all um, people to find, uh, it's not about fighting, but finding a solution for all. There are not so many movies that really learn you anything. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin and Dave. Kat is on holiday this week, and we have a very special guest tonight. Ben's been dead. How you doing, Ben? Hello, I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Um, Sorry for joining excited us. excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, this was a rougher week. I, I have to cop to the fact that I have not heard the show yet, but apparently this was one of the... Uh, more gruesome, I guess. Um, well, I mean, you've seen the movies. Um, this week, we're talking about a Gaspar Noe, who, uh, in my opinion, is uh, possibly the greatest living uh, polemicist filmmaker. And by uh, polemicist, I mean the idea behind the work, in my mind, is to polarize response. So you're, you're trying to challenge people and you're trying to get a response that um, pushes people uh, to what they will accept and what they will think. And I, I think he's the best at it. We talked about the movie Climax from 2018 back on our French horror episode. I thought that Climax was the best horror movie of 2018. Um, the films that we're talking about tonight, I don't think are straight horror, certainly, um, but are probably more polarizing than Climax. And when we talked about that movie, we talked about uh, Gaspar Noe has been quoted as uh, saying he was disappointed at how well it was received. <laughs> so that gives you an idea. Uh, he, he was he was disappointed that people liked the movie so much. Yeah, wasn't it something uh, like, uh, like, wow, a lot of people like this. I guess I fucked up. I can do my impersonation if you want. Oh, please do. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. Here's my impersonation. 
Even my father told me it's his favorite film. I have to take a long holiday and rethink my career. That was his quote <laughs> <laughs> about wow. Climax. So we're, gonna, we're talking about two other movies, uh, one from 1998 and uh, Irreversible from 2010. Uh, I don't know where we want to start. Um, I have to admit that the, uh, the polemicism worked on me. I almost bailed on this episode because I just... I didn't know if I could talk about this stuff in a way that to me would, would be appropriate and that I would want to present to people. They are brilliant movies, in my opinion, um, and he's a brilliant filmmaker, but it's very, very difficult. So I just want to say off the bat, I am not saying that you should run out and watch these movies. I think that they're brilliant and they have a lot to say, but just be warned, I think that this is the most difficult material that we've covered, and we covered a Serbian film. I think this week we can all agree we're going to talk about brilliant movies, but I I don't think we're recommending that people watch them. I mean, we are and we aren't. I don't know. I watch horror movies, uh, you know, for like what's bad out there. Like, show me what's out there, what I'm up against. That's why I'm not, you know, I love Godzilla, but am I afraid of Godzilla? I'm not. Oh, but so am you I like afraid realistic of, horror. Yeah, am I afraid of some guy who uh, is just consumed by his uh, inner voices and just uh, festering this anger? Uh, but he's a kind of a quiet, functioning guy. Um, but speaking of that, I think that, that we should start with I Stand Alone. That would be chronologically. I think that I Stand Alone was the first major, the feature film. It was actually a sequel, and I haven't seen the first one he did. But I Stand Alone is from 1998, and the only way to see this movie right now that I know of is on a site called uh, Get Ready. It's called effedupmovies.com. E F F. So the moment I got that link is when I knew it was going to be weird. <laughs> Well, I got Dave sent me that link on the same day that I got a brand new MacBook, and I was like, <laughs> "You're like, I'm not." So the first thing I'm gonna do is brick my new MacBook MacBook on this fucked up link that Dave sent me to watch this movie. Like, fortunately, he yeah. gave me some pointers. Everything turned out fine. I think we're still only a few days into this, but fduckmovies.com and and like if you follow if you want to watch this movie Dave has the best advice just be prepared to fight the pop-ups and you will be fine yeah lots of pop-ups I, I was but I was getting a little nervous about it wasn't like, a bad site on. it was not a bad site I, it, it functions for finding effed up movies I think it, there are plenty of other effed up movies I might have to go check out on there I was kind of bummed because <laughs> yeah, I thought Dave I thought maybe they'd have Salo so like after I oh, finished right. I Stand Alone, I was like, oh, let me search for Salo. And even that site doesn't have it. Like that shit is so in the underground that I, I don't know how to find it. Well, you got to go to two uh, more effed up movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, you know, one of the struggles, I think. for effed up movies. One of the things uh, that we try to do, and I think that everyone would agree with me, um, we try to talk about movies that anyone can go online and see because we want people to watch the movies and we want to have a conversation about them but at the same time it's kind of sad that in the digital age a lot of stuff has been lost and and you can't just you know go to the weird video store and rent it sometimes it's really hard to find the stuff so that's why we're doing this movie that is only available as far as i know on that one site f.movies.com and it is from 1998 and it's called i stand alone I don't know, Dave, if you want to set this one up for us. So I Stand Alone is uh, early in Gaspar Noe's career. Uh, it's probably like the, the most understated visually uh, of all his movies. Uh, it's a story of a, a guy who's the son of a butcher, which I also am, um, who, in essence, this movie is about like classism and I, I thought that also in the next movie we'll talk about there's also uh, some classism uh, themes um, but it this film's like a firm reminder that like embarrassment and pride are the most dangerous human emotions um, and especially when they're like internalized um, like this character does um, 
It's a story of like a very terrible man, but it spares no expense putting you in his head to experience why he is this way. Um, it's a, you know, it, it's a commentary on like severe mental health problems. Uh, it revolves around this like pessimistic narration uh, that isn't a, like a totally far off perspective that you kind of get sucked into. Like he is terrible, but at the same time, Gaspar No makes him kind of human. Um, and it, it's mostly like this feeling of extreme in, insignificance that this guy has. And, and it's not just for him, but it applies to mankind as a whole. So he has pretty much no respect for human life. <laughs> and, and he's, he's basically just had this voice is muttering in his head, the whole movie. It's like, we always complain about narration, but this is all narration. Um, and it's so overdone that it really works. I don't know if it's that or if it's the French, uh, being the narration. Maybe if it was like, you know, George Clooney doing this, this narration, I wouldn't be as into it. But, um, the dialogue that goes on in his head, uh, is amazing. And it makes you wonder if the person who wrote it themselves might be a psychopath. <laughs> um, but it I also, definitely thought that when I was listening to it. Yeah, I it reminded like, me of if Bukowski. If this isn't his thoughts, then this other person must be just as fucked up. I, I had I had uh, one favorite line. Uh, there was so many um, like just amazingly depressing lines in this movie. Uh, but <laughs> one that I really liked is he's speaking of his mother who died during childbirth. And he says, she got her thrills and didn't stick around to show her face. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking speaking of that dialogue, Gaspar No filmed this entire movie with a three-page script, like classic Gaspar No. And he he didn't write any of this until after the movie was shot. And then what he would do is he would get progressively drunker the more he wrote. So he would kind of be out of his mind by the time he reached the point where the butcher was losing his mind. So just another like glimpse into Gasparno's head and the way he goes about making movies, which is so non-traditional. But yeah, he, he filmed the whole movie and then said, okay, let me get wicked shit-faced and start writing what I think this guy would be thinking. Oh, so you're saying the narration came after they shot. After principal film. film. Yeah, after principal wow. filming was done, then he scripted it. Wow. Um, one of the things that um, went on to be like Gaspar Noe's signature that was my other favorite thing about this movie. I don't love this movie, but I think it's an important um, evolution of his filmmaking. Um, I, know I do like this movie. I don't love it. But um, I love the part where it says it puts a 30-second warning on the screen. Uh, to me, that like that was like some real... like extreme horror kind of shit when it's like you have 30 seconds to turn this movie off before it goes off the <laughs> to rails get out. and uh it's so gaspar no and i i really love that he's he's always like really uh clever with the intros and outros and the titling and all that stuff is always very visually uh, exciting and ben pointed out to me uh that he watched these movies in chronological uh, chronological order and well, I watched them in the order you sent them, but the guy from uh, "I Stand Alone" is in the first opening scene. He's in the opening scene of "Irreversible." Yeah, yeah. And he says pretty much. I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but he says, uh, "He just got I'm out of prison for, for something." Fucking my daughter or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, that doesn't really spoil anything, but uh, except his so, daughter. <laughs> yeah, he has a daughter in the other movie. Oh, that's yeah. I see where you're going. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it, uh, it is a little confusing, but I, I want to get Ben right off the bat. I just want your reaction. I don't know if you had, maybe you could tell us if you have, had you heard of I Stand Alone and what was your reaction oh God, when you finished no. the movie? I mean, I don't really like watch horror movies ever. So this was kind of just like, you know, a fun little experiment. But um, I I definitely thought that, you know, the whole time I'm like, this guy seems to be making his life worse for himself. Um, I questioned the, there was a lot of these like dramatic cuts with the like, 
Yeah, they zoom up and that stuff. Bang, yeah. That one uh, noise that they have throughout the whole movie. Like, it was the same It noise. was like it would always do that cut of, like, a really fast zoom in or something. Uh, so I was going to ask you guys if that had any, like, symbolism or anything. But um, I, I don't know. I found it. Yeah, I guess. Um, I, I found it to be... I just kept thinking about how he was kind of doing this to himself and the amount that he kind of complained about uh, how his life was just not what he wanted it to be. And then he would, you know, do all these things that seemed to just make it worse for himself. Um, so I don't know. I I I think I enjoyed it. Um, but... I, I it wasn't something I would recommend. I think. Um, I didn't enjoy it. Uh, it's it's a difficult one for me. I I tried to bail on even talking about it. I do think that Ben, you, I, I mean, I had kind of the same take on it. That I I think that it is a giant pity party. But yeah, it, that was my my main takeaway. But is, it's hard to separate. I don't feel bad for this guy. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's hard to separate because like. You kind of there's points where you're you're like nodding along in agreement with the narration and like Dave brought up the uh, the classism stuff, um, I, you know. And it's by the end of the movie, I'm asking myself what the filmmaker believes, and he's challenging me to decide what I believe. And I I I believe a lot of what the narrator says in this movie. I do think that life is uh, ultimately pointless. Um, I love the opening scene where there's a guy in a bar and he's talking about morality. And he starts brandishing a pistol. And he's and he says, this is morality, his gun. And the idea like of yeah, morality is power, ultimately, in some ways, socially, is power. So you start off like kind of thinking like, boy, these are some kind of deep takes here. And then by the end, you're like, this is like the biggest pity party I've ever seen on film. And I'm so disgusted. I got to tell the guys that I don't want to talk about this movie. <laughs> that was what happened. <laughs> well, you know what? I What I took away from this movie is at any given time, there's some motherfucker out there that's got three bullets in his gun and has these voices murmuring in his head. You know, that's yeah. that's like what that, my takeaway. It made me think about like being at a bar or something and looking down like three seats and like any of those dudes could be that guy. Right. So it made me, you guys are right, the whole pity party thing and all that. And like Ben, you said, you know, he just keeps making his life worse. I mean, he does some of the dumbest shit. You know, he, he just thinks, or I think that a huge takeaway from this movie is the inability to not be the victim, you know, to take absolutely no responsibility for where you are at in life. To literally, this guy spends an hour and a half walking around as the ultimate victim and blaming people for 90 minutes, and it gets increasingly, increasingly more insane. This movie, and Dave's right, we talk about not loving narration, but this movie is literally 90% narration. And it's trying to put you inside this guy's head. This reminded me of when I read uh, Brett Easton Ellis's novel, American Psycho. And I had a really hard time getting through that book, which, you know, is shocking with the amount of fucked up stuff I've consumed in my life. But that book puts you firmly in the head of a complete fucking psycho. And it's very, very detailed. This movie gave me a little bit of PTSD because I actually had to stop reading American Psycho the first time I tried and then go back, you know, kind of collect myself and finish it. This movie at times, I really wanted to stop it because that guy was stressing me the fuck out the further mm. he fell into descent. But at the same time, I couldn't stop watching it because I was angry at him for literally if he just stopped fucking talking, you know, in his head for a minute and take stock of his life and take a little bit of responsibility for it. So there was this real unease and disgust that I had that was kind of met with this this anger, you know, that this guy couldn't take, you know, accept that he was responsible for the shit he was in. Um, and that's ultimately kind of how I got through it and, until the end sequence, which Dave hinted at has like a very big disclaimer. Um, that just sent me into <laughs> a pit of despair. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, the, for me, the most hopeful moment in the whole movie, um, and a lot of this leading up to the ending, uh, and I think the ending is what uh, is so like disappointing, is because it reminded me of like Taxi Driver or Joker, um, those kind of characters, but it kind of plays out a more like realistic version of that where they never do anything about it because people like that are kind of like prisoners in their own mind. Um, but when he was about to leave town, he had just, uh, he had just punched the lady right in the baby. And he said, <laughs> I'm going to go to France. I'm going to start a new life and I'm going to do whatever I can do to be successful. If I need to be bad, I'll be bad. And at that point I was like, Oh, great. He can take that little gun he has and rob some people and get some money and not, uh, you know, blame his problems on everybody else. Um, even though that's, you know, not a great way to go about it. You're you're rooting for that when you're watching this movie because of uh, his inability to cope. Well, you talked about like at the very beginning, uh, just like the amount of pride this guy has. And I think that's. At least when I was watching, that was the thing that I was like, is stopping him from, you know, doing things that would inherently help him in trying to, like, you know, get his life back or whatever. Um, and there was one thing he said about, like, men have penises and women want to have penises or something. They're mad. Uh, They're just mad because they don't have penises or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So, you know, it's like watching. It's like he can do all this fucked up stuff to women. And you're talking about, like, why doesn't he just rob somebody? But then he's going and, like, begging these men for money. I'm like, if you have this gun and you're trying to move to France or whatever, like, just rob these guys. <laughs> but you have so much more respect the same solution. Just, for just these rob men than the women in your life. Well, he's, he's like, I, you, like, root for him every time he disses Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> every time he's, yeah, like, yeah. those Nazi yeah, bastards, you're really like, yeah, all right, he might be aspect. all right. He might be all right. And then, uh, you know, he'll turn around and be a Nazi himself, but it just shows his, like, nihilistic view of everyone equally. Yeah, and, and he's somehow yeah. excluded from all of it. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, to me, I thought, like, that was interesting, and it's, like, you know, there's people, it made me think of people that go online all day and call everyone a Nazi and are against Nazis, but yet they're like the biggest <laughs> piece of shit. So yeah. I don't, I, there's just so much going on here and a lot of it is over my head, I, I, admittedly. Um, I liked the line, he, at one point he says in the, in the narration to himself, he says that living is a selfish act. And I, yeah, I, I, I agree. It is. Living is a selfish act, but you have to get over that selfishness or you could end up in the depths of uh, despair and depravity that this guy ends up in. Like you have to accept that living is selfish. You shouldn't live. You should die. Survival is, is genetic. You're not doing any, anyone any favors, really, by living, other than the relationships that you have. And I thought he went to a very dark place when he was talking about relationships don't mean anything. Uh, he was talking about the only reason you like your family, the only reason you like your parents is because they do things for you. And the only reason you like anyone is because of what they can do for you. And, you know, it's hard. I mean, it's such an obvious troll, I think, on Gaspar No's part. But it's hard to not just, like... <laughs> instinctively rebel against that and be like, what the hell is this movie saying to me? And I guess, you know, there are times where it's unclear, honestly, to me, if it's a critique of that attitude or if it's an endorsement. I'm not sure. Right. I think Gaspar yeah, I, I Note does that. either. I don't know. If Gaspar Note just might be messed up. He's super fucked up. He's super fucked up. I think it's left left for you know us to decide. I think he's merely just like presenting it as is. Well, and, like, the one thing to know about him is he's not a college professor. I mean, like he uh, does all his movies like blasted on drugs. He highly <laughs> endorses everyone to use drugs. He's out of his mind. Uh, so you know, like again, that's a good question. If it if these messages are being endorsed or you know if it's a 
take heed kind of thing. I, well, I, I think mean, they're I think, not. I think at the end, I think they're not. At, at the end, you know, I think he sort of, I think he sort of puts it out there though at the end of this movie because, you know, he this guy throughout the butcher throughout the entire movie is just pushing you know your patience and your limits for how somebody can present this horrible horrible personality, and then at the end he's you know performing a disgusting fucking unforgivable act and but he's telling you that he has to do it because his love is far too powerful for the world to understand i mean i think no ends this with a pretty big you know slam dunk on what he's really trying to get across yeah i i i i think his movies always like they always really wrap up very well um but they they drag they drag you out to that point, um, and it he likes to torture the viewer. That's why when the thirty seconds warning comes on, you're like, "All right, let's go, <laughs> buckle up." But <laughs> how did you guys feel during the uh, the like weird end hug scene with his daughter? Uh, well, the thing is, is I couldn't ever tell if he molested his daughter or if he just had imaginary impulses of it or yeah, like just kept picturing wondering. it. But I didn't know if he actually did it ever or if he actually loved his daughter, but was just had this messed up thought in his head. I, I couldn't tell. Could you guys? Yes. I, I thought there I was mean, like I a mean, little chesty thing on the well, this is, it, balcony. This is kind of it spo- does that. Spoilery. Well, it's kind of spoilery. He, he st- he starts to and stop he starts to and then fantasizes about it as he stops himself and then when he snaps out of the fantasy and you think oh thank fucking god he's not going to do this that's when he goes into his hole but i have to the world just doesn't yeah. understand my love is too powerful and then he does he does do it yeah, yeah. all right i wonder if uh I wonder if I watched an an edited version of this movie. Uh, you might well, we have. All well, the no, same we one. watched the same site because after the fantasy, like uh, Kevin was saying, you think that you're off the hook. Um, there is a scene that makes you believe that. Oh my goodness! Thank God this didn't actually happen. And then, <laughs> I mean, it shows it happening after that. It happened, and that that's mm. what was so difficult for me, like, uh, you know, I, I, I'm all about the message of the movie. And I, again, I think that the message of the movie is, is I mean, I think it, it, it's pro-life, uh, I guess. Uh, I don't know how to say it, but um, I, I just, at that, at that point, yeah, I think that it, it took you out of it and thought like, oh, you know, and then, um, no, it, it happened, and I'm not 100% sure why and what that message is and I, I i'm uncomfortable with it yeah i mean that's the point of his movies i mean he tr- he tries to if you don't feel uncomfortable watching a gaspar yes. no movie then you don't have feelings and i think that i i like i love when i see a movie of any kind i if i see a rom-com that makes me feel anything like those are my favorite kind of movies is any movie that evokes a feeling from me like you just changed something inside me by staring at this little box um and the images you chose to put in front of me um you know so i always like movies like this and he's the most extreme form of that um but yeah there's not i guess my question my question would be if, if i were to and and i've already said i think he's a brilliant filmmaker and the greatest living uh polemicist filmmaker but my question would be, what is the value of telling me that I don't like that? Like, uh, I don't think that I need to sit here and watch something like that happen in a totally unironic realism sort of context. Like, what what is that delivering me to do that? Like, why are you going to troll me to that extreme level? that I'm going to sit here and watch that and then I'm supposed to say, oh, what an insight that that's bad? Like, what? I don't know. The thing I took away from that was like, 
anybody can make their own mental justifications for anything. Right. So, like, if you compare that to something that in your life might seem like not even remotely that bad, you know, you can still be like, oh, I did that because of this, you know, whatever. Right. And right. it's like, he, he, this is the guy who can literally make a justification for anything. Yes. So, like, take it to the worst possible thing, and he can still be like, well, you know, I had to do it. Well, you know, Agreed. people who are child molesters, uh, pedophiles, whatever, they're, they have serious mental issues, and they're so taboo that we don't even treat them. Yeah. Like, we don't even offer any sort of treatment. It's just like, so all this, everyone who's like that, it's all internal with them. They've, there's no one that you can go to and talk about it and try to like talk yourself off the ledge and make the right choice. Like he was, he was battling that the whole time. Um, we don't offer anything for that. We only offer punishment once it's done. And, you know, it's not like giving a helping hand to a pedophile. What you're doing is you're saving a, a victim by giving this person yeah. treatment. You would be saving his victims from you know, uh, harm instead of him, but people don't seem to understand this. And, and there's all these taboo, uh, you know, things, uh, with, with all kinds of, um, mental illnesses that I think they all need to be treated the same. If it's going on in your head, like people need to discuss it and they need to understand it. Um, because these people exist. That's a good point. I mean, that's a really good point Dave. I mean, think about, think about what we've, done in terms of how it's viewed in the media in entertainment in your local sex offender registries and stuff i mean you know what if what if we had you know what if someone was sitting at home and being like i i thinking about fucking children and they had this healthy outlet to be like well i can go talk to somebody well no and you could treat them before yeah, no one's going that. to be because they've looked at decades of media be it real news, movies, you know, fictionalization, whatever, and they're like, "Well, I'm just going to be demonized, so I'm not going to go get help. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I got this," you know. But ev you know, as this movie yeah. shows, every day that goes by, your mental defenses are just crumbling, and in different humans, it's going to take longer for those walls to fall, but they're going to fall. Well, I think it also showed that those people also like eventually just snap trying to hold that shit in i mean it's not specific to him but like all the stuff he was trying to you know figure out in his head and find excuses for and whatever like those people dealing with that much stuff in their head will just always eventually snap it's true well maybe we could lighten the mood now and move on to <laughs> the uh, uh the more um optimistic movie called irreversible from 2010 hey, if we're ready i've never I've, have you ever seen a happier ending to a movie um than irreversible yeah it, it has the beautiful sunshiny day <laughs> yes um so, yeah there's yeah, uh, has things to look forward to there's all kinds of stuff um it's a beautiful it's a it's a very happy ending i just want to you point want to out a movie before with we... a very happy ending Okay. Watch Irreversible. Before we get going, this the is... Beginner, the beginning is a bitch, though. Okay. It's available... Did anybody else get really dizzy? Oh, sorry, you want to... Well, I just wanted to say that Irreversible is available on Tubi. Um, and you can also rent it. Yes, I found it on Amazon, or Amazon Prime, so... Yeah, I rented it. I, I didn't like uh, the interruptions. It's really weird watching a Gaspar No movie and then like some quirky insurance. Yeah, like New York on. State insurance ad. Yes. And then you're right back. I did the same thing. I started watching it on Tubi and then I was like, fuck this. I'm renting it. <laughs> did anybody else get really dizzy? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Very dizzying. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of like the way he set that tone in the beginning and that's the way he told the story. Um, this is a, a a story that is told backwards, and thus the name Irreversible. And it's very cleverly done. Um, people aren't talking like some weird backwards, like pig Latin sounding stuff. It's regular conversations, but with this swirling camera movement and this 
disorienting cinematography. They just kind of take you um, backwards uh, from it's a revenge story. Um, and it stars Vincent Cassell and Monica Bellucci, um, both two of my favorite um, actors. Yeah, this is. What do you guys think? Well, I hadn't seen this in a long time, and you know the funny thing is, to me, it was less, dis- much less disorienting. Like the first time I saw this movie, I remember well, of course, and I was thinking like, I'm sick to my stomach from the camera work. Like I don't know if yeah. I literally thought I don't know if I can watch this because it's so disorienting. I almost texted Dave and said I'm going to have to skip this. One. <laughs> but the funny thing is now, now seeing it a second time, I don't know. It didn't. I mean, it didn't even like occur to me that it was disorienting i mean it's been like 10 years so uh i think it's like when you know that that's not the whole movie like going into it you're like oh my god is this the whole thing but when you know it's like it's gonna end yes you know yep yeah it it takes you longer than you want yes yeah that's the thing i kept being like this has to end a little bit too long (laughs) he's asking for this dude uh the name Latenia. Latenia. And uh it just keeps asking everybody and it's spinning and I'm like, this is never gonna end, but <laughs> they, they came out of it eventually. Uh, so the the spoilers, um I mean the opening scene is the the spoiler pretty much. There's some other spoilers where, where it's backwards, but um I when I talked to you yesterday, Ben, uh, I had remembered this whole time that Vincent Cassell was the guy who bashed in the Tenia's face. But I didn't realize uh, that it was it's Pierre. Not, yeah, it's Pierre. Yeah, I, I don't know Pierre. why I thought that. I saw this years ago, but um, watching it again, um, it makes a lot more sense that it's Pierre. And um, yeah, we we don't really want to lay too much out in these movies, uh, but I guess that's the hard thing about this one is like the end is the beginning. So anything you talk about the beginning. Well, I mean, right. it's it's right end? in the I mean, synopsis of the film. So if someone goes to rent this movie, it pretty much says that two guys are looking for revenge for a brutal rape of one of their girlfriends. So it's we're not really given much away, and this movie is kind of you know infamous. So you know, I I don't I don't know. How much you want to edit out, Trent? If I'm totally overstepping my no, no. I mean, it's spoiler. It's the way that right he now. tells the story. It doesn't matter what the story is. Yeah, it's it's backwards. Yeah. So the movie literally takes you through a series of about twelve scenarios that are all backwards. It starts at the end of the night and then brings you all the way to the beginning of the day. And it's funny that well, well first, not funny. It's incredible that this is Gaspar Noe's second feature film. So he this mm. is what directly followed up. I stand alone. I'm not talking about the content. I'm just talking about the fact that you have this young filmmaker who does I Stand Alone, which you know I think Dave pointed out, about the most straightforward thing you're going to get from Gaspar Noe, and it's still fucking bonkers. And then he comes out with Irreversible. But he was actually having a hard time getting financing for this movie. And it wasn't until he pitched it as going in reverse that people were like, okay, yeah, we'll throw a little money because... Christopher Nolan had just had a huge hit with Memento in 2000 with Guy Pierce, So Gaspar Noe kind of saw that as a way to be like, well, maybe if I sort of pretend or make people believe I might make something accessible, they'll give me a little bit of money. And then you guys are talking about the camera work, and it's, it's pretty rare for a director to do their own cinematography, but all that fucked up stuff that you're talking about, Gaspar Noe did all of the camera work for this movie himself. He would go on to Amazing. find a, a cinematographer, yeah. uh, Benoit Deby, who would do all of his, his future films. But he, he held the camera for this entire movie himself, and he admitted that he was just doing copious amounts of cocaine the entire time so that he could keep up with carrying these cameras and getting these shots, and that he would get so fucked up during filming and then crash so hard that his his line was my arms would be so tired i couldn't even lift up a glass of vodka (laughs) i mean if you i i really like that the uh the the nightclub that they're going to is called the rectum i mean the the 12 year old me uh like that part of it you need Um, to find the rectum and i and also uh, i love the guy who in the opening scene is relentless about getting fisted uh, he really has a... He's like, please, fist me. Please, please. <laughs> He's just, he does not stop. But I, you just have to think, this is one of those movies, and the last one, where 
you have to remember it's a movie. And thinking about some of, some of these sets, especially in the rectum, <laughs> like how you'd have to set these up and like what's happening when you say action, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and if he was doing like, you know, tons of cocaine, that means probably all the cocaine in, that you see in the film was real cocaine. Yeah. Um, obviously all of the sex things that happen, uh, are real and quite graphic, but that must be a wild movie set to be in a Gaspar No movie. Well, imagine that for real, and then imagine having to get information at like a sex party, and just going around to different people, just going to town on each other, trying to get information. The, the regret that you you feel through this movie, um, as it nears the ending, is like just so horrible. And every time you see something. Um, and things happen that are like almost like a foreshadowing. Goes, oh, we're really weird. We had that conversation because then this happened, or that dream that you had. Um, they did a good job of tying things in like that without making it seem really intentional or, or contrived. You know what I mean? Well, it's. it's mm-hmm. I, I think one of the. And again, the there's a couple scenes in this movie. One particularly with Monica Bellucci. That's. You know, it's what made the movie infamous. It's really, really one of the hardest things I've ever watched on film. But in terms of what Gaspar Noe pulled off in, in, in terms of telling a story backwards, once that big scene happens in the middle of the movie, you know, I'm a, I'm a time watcher, like when I'm watching a movie. So I'm always kind of like watching what's going on in the movie and like sort of like, you know, clicking down to be like, how, how much is left in this movie? And I was shocked when that happened. And I was like, how the fuck are they going to get another hour out of this movie after the the big scene happens? And it actually just got better. I mean, the the thing, like you said, Dave, the things that he ties together and the little threads that are pulling along the entire time, all the way up until you know a really beautiful ending. It's it's a it's a really impressive piece of filmmaking um, when when you put aside some of the really questionably brutal things he chose to film. Uh, did you guys all make it through the straight six minutes of flashing light at the end? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think I fast-forwarded through that part. I think I did. I think I did. Um, I do think that's that... The, that's the only part that I showed Connie. I was like, oh, there's a part you can watch. Check this out. <laughs> and it's just a strobing light. What must that have been like in the theater Ugh. to see this movie and have it end with that, like, th- that strob... That strobbing... Throbbing light. Um <laughs> I think everybody's leaving by then. Yeah, yeah. That must have been intense. Well, I think I think one of the things that the reverse order uh, chronology does is it forces you to confront one of the worst, uh, most graphic uh, acts of violence. The revenge is first. So the first thing you see is that act of vengeance, and and this is discussed during the movie. Vengeance is a human right. I think is uh, is said at one point. Um, and it kind of presents that in a way that it's not as easily digested as it might be if it were presented after the transgression. There's some other stuff going on. Like, I'm not sure, again, with Gaspar No, um, I guess, you know, that's he's so good that, like, there's other stuff going on, I feel like, especially with the two main characters. Mark, well, there's uh, Alex is the girlfriend, and then there's Marcus and Pierre. So Marcus and Pierre are pals. Marcus is dating uh, Alex, but it's I guess it's alluded to that uh, Alex used— Pierre dated her before? Yes. Yeah, and Mar- so, Marcus and Pierre yeah. are not pals. Pierre is Alex's ex, who clearly is— Right, but they're friends now, and they're— coming to town. But they're—oh, I, I thought that they were, like, friendly, and they were all cool with it. I didn't think. No, they just I met. think they're they're closer toward the beginning because they have a similar goal. But Pierre is willing to follow Marcus through. I guess they're both seeking the same vengeance. I guess so. He still loves Alex for sure. Yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah. I mean, so, especially when he's yeah. That's where it gets a little bit. Yes, that's where it gets a little more complicated. And I'm not sure. I think that there are some stuff, especially there are conversations that um, that make me question. What exactly uh, is being said? And I, you know, I don't know, again, if it's a repudiation of terrible things or if um, there are just some terrible things on the mind of the maker. I don't know. 
Well, one of the things that uh, is prevalent throughout Gaspar Noe's movies are like e- extreme like racial intolerance, which from what I've heard uh, from people that spent a lot of time in France is that that is real. Oh, like yeah. that's a real thing there. Oh, like yeah. it's uh, if you're from like the the wrong country in Africa, like you can't get a cab or you can't. Um, there's very, very strong biases um, that I'd like that he shows that, although they're very like uh, jarring when jarring, you're, you're, yeah. you're listening to these these people talk to each other. But um, yeah, I, I think that it's probably kind of a real depiction of what it, what it could be like in some of those places. I found it very interesting that at the beginning of the movie, I as watching like the uh the two main characters i hated them immediately just because i'm like these guys are so aggressive they're just beating the shit out of anybody they see um and then you know once you figure out that it's 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 funny that they talk about like vengeance being what what was the quote a human right yes a human right because my mind immediately switched once i found out why they were beating everybody up i was like oh they're the good guys you know that's the question. Um, but in the beginning, I was like, no way. Some of the best, this is two weeks in a row, I'm like psyched um, with the realistic graphic violence that we've had last week in Bone Tomahawk. Um, and this, the Tenia, when the Tenia gets it, I mean, what'd you guys think? Isn't that one of the most amazing face bashing ins you've ever seen? Absolutely. It, was, it took a long time. Yeah, it took yeah, a it really long real. time. It's very good. It's a it's a mix of practical and CGI. But, you know, I think like Ben was talking about like the that's the section of the movie where the camera's going so insane that you can you know, you can get away with a lot. Uh, but they st- I I still, you know, and I I'd seen this movie probably around the same time that you did, Trent. Definitely not when it came out, but maybe like 2010ish. And I forgot all about that. That's when it came. Um yeah, probably, you know, probably just because I was so disoriented the first time I saw it. And this time I kind of knew what I was going in for, but I was still taken aback. And then the, the amount of fire extinguisher bashes that happened, I was like, I was all right, like, that's is the this last ever going to end? Yeah, that's the last one. No, that's the last one. <laughs> you were one. like that all week. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Watching the Gaspar like, movie. That's that like, scene. When's this going to end? That scene is 2020. I was like, he has no more face left. You can't, you're just bashing <laughs> like brains and, and. Do you like Gaspar Knows movies, Ben? I, um, I like that they're like weirdly paced. I think that's something that like doesn't happen a lot anymore. Um, so I like that the, the pace is kind of tricky. Um, but it's also a little bit slow in parts. Um, you don't seem phased at all by this week. Everyone was like really worried, I, like having you on. Yeah, you I don't seem phased at all. I mean, I, Ben, ben <laughs> has I mean, no problem with any of this. <laughs> I have no problem like watching movies. You know, the movie was made, so somebody's got to watch it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have some movies for you then. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I can't be the worst person on earth because somebody actually made the shit. So I think that we should, because I mentioned the line, um, vengeance is a human right. There's another line that says, uh, even animals don't seek revenge. Revenge is a human concept. You know, and an animal doesn't try to like get vengeance for something that happened. And I thought that that was very interesting. And I think that that, I think, I don't know. But I think that that is, to me, the heart of this movie. If I'm being generous and I'm saying, like, this is a brilliant filmmaker and what is trying to be said here, there's something about the fact that only humans seek vengeance. And we all want vengeance. We all we have a strong impulse, a human right, again. But, you know, is that right? Is it wrong? Is, is there no right and wrong? I don't know. But that, that would be the flip side to that sort of expression. So I just wanted to make sure we cover that. Well, I mean, whoever said is that is... because animals has, don't understand vengeance? Well, whoever said that has never owned a cat. Meow. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fucking accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys ever heard of the sunk cost fallacy? 
No. no. So no. the sunk cost fallacy holds that if you've invested a certain amount in something, then you have to keep going because if you were to quit, no matter how futile it obviously is and no matter how much you're failing and you're not getting, it's not working. But since you've invested like such and such time, money, effort, whatever it is, then that, that's kind of like you're in for a penny, in for a pound. And uh, there are studies that show that, first of all, no animal does that. When animals are doing something that doesn't work, they just stop doing it. And that children under the age of uh, a certain point, I can't remember the age, a young age, children don't do that either. They just recognize that it's not working and they just don't do it anymore. So I, th I think that there's something going on there uh, about human nature. And uh, I don't know if it's good or bad. Maybe neither. Probably both, I guess. Well, if you are a fan of revenge, which I guiltily am, <laughs> um, you might want to hire the Revenge Squad from Irreversible. Uh, I like these guys. They they came lurking around the scene of the crime, and after they put their statement in with the police, these two guys just kind of walk up, and they're like, yeah, we know everyone in the city, and... We can find this person, and we have connections. The police aren't going to help you. Um, I thought that that was interesting. I wonder if you know th there are people that offer this service, uh, just going around to scenes, crime scenes, and trying to solve what the the bumbling cops cannot solve. Oh, I think it absolutely that has to be real because yeah. the way that it's so realistically depicted means that there has to be some kind of reality framework that that Gaspar Noe is pulling off of. No, well, it's an underworld. From, you're you're kind of going yeah. on this, this tour through the underworld, I think. Do you think other people can like inherit inherit a reason for revenge, right? Like if you hired those people, you think they could get to the level of like wanting that revenge for the reason that you want it? You know what I mean? Uh, I think well, money. I think money. Is it talk, just a money. job? Because while we're talking about, money. yeah, we're talking about things that animals, you know, that we have different from animals, and and money would be the big one. So they might not feel that same way, but you could certainly get yeah. them uh, just as vengeful with with some dollars. <laughs> They'll work just as hard. Um. So Ben, uh, Gaspar yeah. No calls your manager today and says he wants you to star in his new movie. Do you take the role? A hundred percent. Wow, interesting. I think it uh, it would be iconic, whatever it is. I mean, I, I think, think it's just going to be you making love to one of your family members for two hours, <laughs> and then you kill them. It's iconic. The end. And then, you, yeah, I think that's it. I'll take it. Well, Vincent Cassell wanted to be in this movie so bad that he actually threw up money to produce it when Noah was having trouble financing it. And wow. did you I guys, re I, I never knew this. I never knew this. Vincent Cassell and Monica Bellucci were married when they made this movie. And I, I had. Is Vincent Cassell the guy from I Stand Alone? No, no, no. He's, no. The, he's Vincent Cassell Marcus, is Marcus, the, the boyfriend. The boyfriend, Marcus. the, the okay, D bag okay. boyfriend. Gotcha. Yeah, like bros. Which, which of those two did you got, uh, those two guys did you find that you liked better? I liked Pierre I liked better, Pierre. but I actually think that. Uh, Alex, Monica, Bellucci, Monica Bellucci's character, wanted someone more like uh, Vincent Cassell's character. Even though he was a, a dick, I Correct. feel like she was just attracted to that. Correct. I that thought I liked Pierre, subplot. but then the... You didn't uh, like Pierre? I think it was... I thought I liked him, but then the... I think it was like when they were getting on the subway or something. And he was just like talking about how, how good of sex mm. they had in front of Alex. And I was like, oh, he's just trying to be a dick. No, he was He's saying just trying to make this guy jealous. He was they actually like sex. dissing himself and saying that he could never oh. make her orgasm. Yeah, he was. He was being well. He was. I thought he was saying that so she would be like, "No, I did. I did." You know, I, maybe. Well, I yeah. have a radical take on that. I'm glad. Well, I'm not. I don't know if I'm glad, but Dave, you brought it up. Um, that I think is maybe a more important dynamic than the whole revenge thing. And that's one of the things that I think makes the movie difficult is that I honestly, I think, I don't, I don't know if Gaspar Noe is sort of saying, whoa, you, you wanted the uh, most uh, dominant, aggressive man that you could get because you're, you're submissive and, and there's, there's a linking 
of submission with victimization and asking if you want to be submissive and you want to be dominated, do you want to be victimized? I think that he might be doing that, and that's pretty tough stuff. It's true. Yeah. Uh, I, no, that's, that's know, a pretty astute take. Yeah, it's hard to not, like, find, you know, like, like I, when I watch a bad movie, when you guys watch a bad movie, do you feel like it, it, you're a bad person for watching a bad movie? No. Definitely not. No. <laughs> uh, because, you know, there was the time I told you, like, I had the Serbian film. I had to, like, download something on my computer, and I was I was afraid to be at the airport. I had to go to the airport the next day and fly with my computer, and I was like, oh, my God, what if they found out I watched a Serbian film? Um, Wait, are I you talking about, like, are you were you afraid that they thought you might have searched some illegal websites or dark web just the no, dark web the, the, just the content itself was so extreme oh, that okay. uh, it would be you know illegal right or right. I, I you know you. like now that to like, me is you know, cartoon you hear all the time they like bust someone like yeah we found some sketchy stuff on his computer he's in prison that's you know yeah yeah that that movie to um, me is like a cartoon and i just think it, it's it, ridiculous compared to this stuff i feel like it yeah is too. like this is where like uh, you know uh, this is where for me i think that it gets uncomfortable uh answering some of the questions that are being asked and some of the things that are being said like i i'm truly like i don't know if I want to even talk about this, you know. So it does kind of make you feel like a bad person. No, not at when all. You, when these things come up, when you uh, like, no, 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 not at all. I just don't know that I want to get into it. That's all. Yeah, I, I right. think what Trent's trying to say is, when you get into content this visceral, it, it's difficult to come in and speak about it. And know if you're even going to have a proper take or a proper mm -hmm. interpretation yeah. of it. I, I appreciate that, Kevin. Um, what if um, what this movie is saying is that um, women want to be victims? Is that right. something that we are... Oh, oh, what a brilliant piece of art. Women want to be victims, and victimization is the same as sexual submission. Victimization is just the logical extension of feminism. Like, it just, it gets into stuff that, you know, it's like, what the hell? I, you know, I just, it's uncomfortable for me to, um, to it's not uncomfortable for me to uh, take in a, a movie that's been made that I think is incredibly well made, um, but it's a little bit uncomfortable for me to be entertaining that kind of question and, uh, you know, so that's why I, I was like, you know, very anxious about even having this conversation. Well, it shines a light on, you know, male toxicity. Yes, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think that was kind it's of the theme of both of these movies. To yes. every character it's happening. I mean, in a different setting, Ben is right. Pierre would be a douchebag. Yes. Because of what he was saying in the subway. Yes. Um, and, but compared to what the Tenia does... And even what, you know, uh, Marcus does, um, his comments, he seems like the nice guy. Yeah. And, and that's, I think that's why it's so powerful. And that's, you know, that's polemic. And I think that it, it's, that's why it's so effective because I think that it does force you to confront those questions and ask yourself, how comfortable are you are, uh, or are you with that conversation uh, within yourself? And is the movie... Um, it, what does the movie say? Is sometimes it's unclear, and I think that's the function of art: is to ask those questions and to confront you. And sometimes you have to be uncomfortable. So, you know, for me, this was a tough one. But I, I do think that, you know, I'm, I'm not condemning the movie by any means, of course. Um, but yeah, I, th I think it works. Uh, it, it is definitely tough. Um, I thought, and like Ben's unfazed. Um, but totally, he, I can't believe you're he's the so only unfazed. guest. I don't know, man. I, I <laughs> you're the only guest that has watched media. <laughs> both of the movies that we had to watch. All our other guests just had to watch one movie. Yes, and you I got panicked the hardest I, week. And you Friday got, morning, I I totally forgot, and I just back to back watched them. Didn't even take a break. Oh, mm. that must have been cool though with it with a crossover actor. Though it in was the next cool one. that he. Uh, yeah. I still don't understand how he ties into that movie at all 
I don't think he does. I think it's merely he's just hanging out there. Yeah, like he found his home. He's, yeah, he found his place. Out. Well, I think <laughs> yeah, rectum. I think that he just happened to live near the rectum, and okay. so they could hear the sirens. And it was just, I mean, that, it, that, it, it just was crazy to me that like I ended the other movie, and then he's, I'm like, oh, are these supposed to be like both of his movies? And then he's not in the movie for the rest of it. No, that I think it was just Gaspar Noe. So Gaspar Noe's first movie was a short film called Carne about the butcher. And at the beginning of I Stand Alone, you get sort of a quick uh, synopsis of what Carne is about. And then this actor obviously stars in I Stand Alone. So I think it was Noe's way of saying, okay, here's my third film endeavor. I just want to throw this guy in at the beginning to sort of give this bizarre monologue and yeah. have him just live outside. So um, that actor, yeah, so it, it was the same actor in all three of his his uh, his projects, and uh, that guy actually passed away this year. So This year? Oh, damn. Yeah, April. R.I.P. April huh. 2020. Uh, actor named uh, Philippe Nahon. R.I.P. Philippe. The music in this movie was done by Thomas Bangalter, who was one half of Daft Punk. Yes. And oh, one wow. of the things that Gaspar Noe had him do is use a background noise with a frequency of 28 hertz, which is almost inaudible, but is known to make humans uh, nauseous and experience vertigo. So just right. another way that Gaspar really? Noe is a massive dick. Um, one He's of, just a fucking asshole. Yeah, one of the most <laughs> walked out movies of all time. And I know we bring that up on this show a lot, but this you can imagine a lot of I people really this did time, walk yeah, out. Yeah, but this time we really mean it. <laughs> Legit, yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, Monica Bellucci, Gaspar Noe credits her with uh, basically directing the scene, quote unquote. Um, because he, so he basically gave her the reins. And what they did is they did six versions of the scene and he essentially let her and the actor the other guy Latenia, um you know i choreograph i guess is a very fucking odd word to use but uh and then again just like uh a lot of no stuff that we talk about and, and this was climax i think we said climax was like a seven page script um this movie again like the the movie we just talked about, I Stand Alone, it was a three-page script. So most of the dialogue that you see from our main cast, Vincent Cassell, Abra Dupontel, who plays Pierre, it was all improvised. So Noah basically just said, here's the setup. And then what they did is there were, I think, 12 sequences of this that were all shot um, with no, no breaks. And what they would do is they would do each one up to 15 times. And then Gaspar Noe in post-production, I think, would edit the best segments of all of them together. So if you watch this movie and you think about, you know, a 10-minute segment being shot 15 times and then a director going in and editing it as seamlessly as it is, it's another testament to, to Noe's at least technical filmmaking, but regardless of, of what you think of the content. Yeah. Um, and then last thing, sorry, I'm just doing my data dump right here. Uh, Gaspar Noe credits 2001 A Space Odyssey, which he saw when he was seven, as the reason he's a filmmaker. He also credits uh, Cargill's angst as one of his biggest inspirations for movies. I saw in, I don't remember which one of the movies, but somebody had a poster. Yeah, above, above Marcus and Alex's bed is a 2001 yeah. A yeah. Space yeah. Oddity poster. Yeah. All right, that's it. I'm done. I forgot about the angst connection. I'm, I'm glad you brought that back up. I knew that, and I forgot about it. He does cite that as one of his most formative mm. influences, which makes sense. Actually, so we I'm, talked about angst. I'm not done. Did you guys notice during the party scene that, and I, I literally immediately started looking this up, during the party scene, do you notice at one point somebody asked Vincent Cassell, who's playing Marcus, what his name is, and this is when he's all fucked up, he answers Vincent. And then immediately really? laughs and says, ha ha, just kidding, it's Marcus. And that was Vincent Cassell actually fucking up and telling somebody, like, when someone's oh. like, what's your name? He's like, Vincent. I do remember that. Yeah, that's, I was like, that's oh. why it's Like, I, it's so spontaneous with Gaspar Noe. These sets, they're probably not even sets. They're probably just at a party and Vincent just Cassell just completely forgets that he's in a movie. I have a feeling <laughs> that, like, you know, with these, like, four or five page scripts, that they go into these movies with that I just picture Gaspar Noe on like the roof of some hotel, like out of his mind on drugs at night going like, I want to make a movie now. <laughs> we make a movie. Let's do it now. 
シリマー。